let's have an honest discussion about regenerative agriculture and how it's revolutionizing farming practices across Canada, enhancing soil health, biodiversity, and resilience. Let's explore the key principles and techniques for sustainable farming. Farming to regenerate the soil is a journey, one that has to deal with the demands of climate change. If you take a holistic view of farming, you'll quickly realize that farmers work over many years. Applying the principles of regeneration and from their successes and failures to mitigate the effects of climate change and to offer an ecosystem of support for regenerating the soil and making sure that farm animals have an opportunity to live a long and prosperous life. Sanderman Stee is a Canadian farmer who says the concept of regenerative agriculture is something that we all should take under further examination. He says it's more than a buzzword or a hot take. It's a practice or way of life for both the soil and the animals to fully prosper and to maximize the ability of farmers to provide more sustainable, ethically sourced, and healthier meat and soil products. He's interested in exploring the science behind the evidence of the benefits of regenerative agriculture and how it can improve the overall state of the farming industry for everyone. And he's on a mission to improve the lives of farm animals at large. And he joined me this week to tell me more. I'm Kevin McShan. Let's have this conversation. program and I'm super excited to talk to you about regenerative farming. Great to be with you today and uh, thanks so very much for being here. Absolutely, yeah. I'm ready when you are. Absolutely. Now, Senator, you tell me that re uh, regenerative farming is sort of a buzzword and I'm curious if we can start our conversation by you uh, diving into why you think it's the better way to farm and why it's so important to uh, the farming process overall. 
Yeah, it has a lot of advantages over regular agriculture in that it's much more of a holistic system. A lot of the pressures over the past have been towards specialization in agriculture and efficiency, whereas regenerative agriculture takes a bit of a different focus. It focuses much more on soil health. And as a, as a result, you end up having a lot of extra perks like sequestering carbon to improve the environment, has a lot of advantage for animal welfare as well. And what, like, like I said, regenerative culture, it's, it's really focused on soil health. And what that really looks like if you take it a step deeper is if you, you have a very diverse ecosystem of microorganisms in the soil, it's not just dead dirt that you're taking nutrients out of and minerals. And it's, it's a living system. And ideally, it's a very complex food chain. And what the plant can do when you have this complex food chain is it, it can actually request certain nutrients from those microorganisms by putting sugars into the soil and then it trades the sugar for nutrients with the microorganisms and it's great and it's only made possible when you have that healthy soil when you start using things like synthetic fertilizer you stop the plant's ability to communicate with those microorganisms and then it can no longer get all the nutrients, which is fine for the nutrients that you are fertilizing for, but you can never fertilize for all the nutrients that you can get that's, that are present in the soil, all those micronutrients. You can never fertilize for, for all of those. So there's a definitely disadvantage as far as the nutrient density when it comes to regenerative agriculture over conventional agriculture. Yeah, and I know, my friend, that you uh own a, a commercial family dairy farm in Ontario, and you're currently under a transition, my friend. So tell me about how the transition's going and uh, some, some of the successes and pitfalls that you've seen along your journey, my friend, during the transition. Tell me all about it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, like regenerative agriculture is a fairly new field a new idea new concept so it's a there's not really a lot of roadmaps as far as how to get it all done and how to make that transition so it's a lot of it's been me just kind of stumbling around trying things experimenting and um and also reaching out to other people that are doing something similar also make doing some experimenting and bumping into roadblocks and making mistakes but it all started basically uh, around 2015, when we were building our new dairy barn, I I uh, joined the family dairy farm in 2010, full-time. And then 2015, that's when we moved our cows over to the new dairy facility. And it's a state-of-the-art commercial dairy farm. The cows improved dramatically because the whole facility was focused on cow comfort and building a facility where the cows can thrive because my focus, my interest has always been on the animals. So it made sense to build the whole farm around the animals thriving, doing really well. Yeah, and absolutely. That, yeah, go ahead, yeah. sir. Yeah, so around that time, the cow's health improved, but then my own health suffered. All of a sudden, years of neglecting my own health caught up with me, and I got very sick, and I um, I started having hormonal, hormonal issues, and my basically my testosterone dropped below what was – typical for like a 90 year old man it's like single digits and that whole journey of trying to figure out where i went wrong what i can do to get healthy again it had me questioning everything because 
the medical system wasn't really able to help me. They couldn't figure out what was wrong. They basically just told me I had to accept my um, my condition, accept the fact that my testosterone would always be low. I got to be on hormonal therapy, replacement therapy. And I just need to accept that and move on. But that took me about six years to figure it out and how to actually improve my own health to the point where I can now produce my own hormones again. But that journey... It had me questioning not only the healthcare system, but also like my own health choices and the, the things I do day to day. And fo- not before then, I was never really focusing on my health. But it also had me questioning the way we farmed. And basically, well, I was looking for ways that I could improve animal welfare because I'm very passionate about our, our cows and I want to give them the best life possible. So I was, I was looking like, is there different ways that we can do things that can make things even better for our cows? And in that journey, I stumbled across regenerative agriculture. So what we have now is we still have our commercial dairy farm because it's a decent size and it's it's somewhat intimidating to try to switch that over all at once and try to d- sell all those dairy products direct to the consumer. And so what I'm starting off with is pastured turkeys and grass-fed, grass-finished beef. And we have our, our turkeys uh, following behind our, our grass-fed beef because they move every single day in order to do rotational grazing, which is necessary for treating the soil and and uh, in a way that improves the health of the soil. It's the daily moves are critical for giving that pasture rest. So that's where we're at now. We have the pasture turkeys, we have the grass-fed beef, and and then but then in contrast with farming on a smaller scale in an, in an ideal way, I also have a larger scale commercial dairy farm in which uh, once we build up that customer base, I hope to also transition into regenerative agriculture, but not just regenerative agriculture, also focusing on ethically sourced animal products. Like there's uh, something I've been experimenting now for for three years, which is allowing the dairy cows to raise their own calves up until weaning. It's something that's not been considered possible on a larger scale because it's, it's much too difficult to keep the calves healthy. And if the calves are sick and sickly and suffering, well, it's not really an improvement in animal welfare to have the mothers raise their own calves, which is why they're typically re- separated at birth to give them an environment where the calves can, that's that's suited for the calves, so the calves can thrive and then the, and then the mothers produce the milk. But it's a, it's a trend that's growing in Europe and it's something that I want to bring here to Canada as well. Yeah, absolutely, my friend. I'm curious to dive into why you think farming and agriculture specifically is a critical component to the to the overall health of uh, Canada's entire economy because it plays a significant role, doesn't it? Absolutely, yeah. Agriculture, well, Canada as a whole is, is a very um, primary resource-rich country. Lot of lot of land, so we have lots of lots of uh, woods, lots of minerals, lots of land for agriculture as well. So, agriculture as a part of, as for as part as Canada's entire GDP makes up seven percent. So it's a significant part of our gross domestic product, but also it also accounts for eleven percent of uh, the employment in Canada. But in my eyes, almost more importantly than how significant it is for Canada as as economically is that it's what people need every single day to eat. 
and to thrive and be healthy. Every meal is dependent on agriculture. Yeah, absolutely, my friend. And you also tell me that you believe that what we eat is a signal, have a, has a significant impact on our health. So tell me why it's important to you to advocate for people to know what they put in their bodies. Why is it important to know what we eat, my friend, from your perspective? Absolutely, yeah. It's, it's pretty common to hear the saying that you are what you eat. But it's much deeper than that. It's not just what you eat that matters. It's also what you eat ate because it, it goes on down the food chain. So the, the soil raised or managed in a regenerative way is healthier. It has a diverse microorganisms, that diverse ecosystem. And then because of that, the plants that grow in that soil is more nutrient dense like what I was alluding to earlier about like there's more micronutrients and it has uh, the ability to have, communicate with those microorganisms to get every single small amount of of uh, minerals and, that it could possibly need. But it's not just that, it's also the defense chemicals and the phytonutrients from the critters in the soil that make its way into the plant and make the plant healthier so that you don't rely on things like pesticides and herbicides the same way because there's a co competition of the same class of insects or pests or, or plants that are already in that ecosystem. So it do, you don't rely on all these chemicals the same way. And then the plant, the animals then that eat the pasture or eat the plants, they're also healthier and more nutrient dense. It makes its way up the food chain to the point where you can actually take a biopsy of the muscle of a beef animal that's raised on just grass versus the biopsy of the muscle of one that's finished on grain. And interestingly, the the animal raised on just grass and pasture has less evidence of aging. So there's less glycation end products, less oxidative stress, less proteolysis. And that's just from what it is what it's eating. And then so not surprisingly, those health benefits that the animal is experiencing makes its way up to our plate and and it's healthier for us as well there's the meat that we eat that's grass-fed and grass-finished for example is higher in vitamin e vitamin a antioxidants and omega-3 fatty acids it makes a massive difference yeah absolutely my friend as you know we're both proud canadians my friend so tell me What's the best part for you about being uh, from and living in Canada? Why are you so proud of your Canadian heritage, my my friend? Tell me more all about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm in a unique position where um, we, I actually immigrated from the Netherlands to Canada. So I'm actually not born in Canada. So my dad actually had the option of basically any country in the world to move to. And he chose Canada. And I often talk to him. We also cut off and compare and contrast because we still have family back in Holland and compare the different countries. And we, we never regret the choice to come to Canada. It's been amazing. And a big part of that is like there's so much opportunity in agriculture in Canada. There's so much space and, um, there's also so much independence for business owners to to run their business their own way. There's not the same amounts of paper burden and um, regulations as there is in Europe. So 
farming in Canada is 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 uh, much more enjoyable than it um, being under all those regulations and tight control in Europe. But then for myself as well, and this is also a big part of my parents moving to Canada, it's also just an amazingly safe place to raise a family. You have, there's not much for predators, but most of the predators are further up north. Uh, extreme weather, is there isn't that much either. We don't worry about hurricanes and tornadoes the same way. And uh, there's like poisonous reptiles or or even the the politics is fairly stable. So it's it's just an amazing country and a safe country to to live. Yeah, and Sandra, I want to give you uh, the platform to tell me about uh, some of the uh, challenges that today's farmers face and some of the sort of breakthroughs that we've made in the industry from your perspective, my friend. If you had to uh, describe the state of the farming industry today, how would you describe it, my friend? Ultimately, I can't complain too hard. Uh, like I said, agriculture in, in Canada is amazing, especially uh, myself being a dairy farmer. We enjoy the benefits of the quota system. So we have a stable milk price so we can bank on years of, of, of stable income so that we, we know that I'll be able to provide for my family. I know that years down the road, unless I do something horrifically wrong, there will be a farm available for my children to to um, take over if they so please. But there are challenges. And, and one that's quite often um, is on top of my mind is how increasingly in modern years, agriculture has become much of a scapegoat for um, for politicians and policymakers for the environment and, and uh, greenhouse gas emissions and global warming. And it really doesn't make a lot of sense for it to be caused by animal agriculture, particularly because if you compare to history, there are very few mega herbivores now compared to what there was in the past. And even just a total, total amount of ruminants, which is what cattle are, which is blamed for the most of the greenhouse gas emissions from agriculture. They're, they're, the total number of ruminants since before colonization really hasn't changed much. There were massive herds of bison grazing in, in, throughout North America. So like for the total number of, of animals to have not changed much, it doesn't make sense for there to be an increasing amount of greenhouse gases and have that be caused by agriculture and animal agriculture. And it's, in my opinion, much more of a scapegoat. And for... The true issue, which is the burning of fossil fuels and adding carbon and adding greenhouse gases to the environment, that's causing an increase in the greenhouse gas emissions. And then uh, there's also a lot of pressure on things like animal welfare and consumers in general are just becoming more interested in where their food is coming from. It's not just about like, hey, what's the cheapest food I could possibly eat? They're actually interested in how it's raised and the quality of that food, which also is an opportunity for um, people like myself that are, are willing to be on that leading edge of change to to cater to these people that are that want a higher quality, more nutrient density, want something that's healthier for the environment, that's healthier to eat, and is raised in a certain way that they can be happy with as far as from an animal welfare perspective. Yeah, and you know, uh, Sandra, I also wanted to, uh, to give you the space to tell me about 
uh, the mission neuron, we've talked a lot about uh, the way farm animals are raised and what they eat. And I know that that's a mission that's particularly important to you, as you said. Uh, you're particularly passionate about this issue. So tell me, how do you think your mission of raising more ethically sound uh, farm animals are going? And what sense of pride do you take in your current work, my friend? That's right. It, it, like anything, work and life is more enjoyable when you're good at what you're doing and you're doing a good job you feel like you're 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 doing things well and for our, uh, working with the animals it's really no different is and it's, and i got into agriculture not because of my love for the agriculture industry is just or even the lifestyle i just love working with animals and so like these animals that bring me so much joy is really fulfilling to do my best to give them the best life possible and I'm always hunting for ways to do things even better. There's it's, it's a never-ending journey of improvement. But like I was saying before, like I've been experimenting with on a on a smaller scale, on a small groups of having the dairy cows raise their own calf because, in my opinion, that would be a significant improvement in animal welfare. Because one of the ways that I measure animal welfare is the the animal's ability to express their natural behaviors and their natural maternal behaviors is something in the dairy industry that is hard for the for the cow to be able to express when you're separating the animals for their own good typically but still separating them so then the cow does not have the chance to raise its own calf so there, there's real opportunity there, like there's it's been surprisingly successful, those experiments, and and I'm, I'm and I'm really looking forward to being able to scale that through across our entire herd, and then and also just be an example for other dairy farmers. Everything that I able to implement successfully is an example to other producers of another way that we can possibly raise these animals. And, and another example is is where we are, the veal industry is um, is thriving and is pretty popular. And the veal industry is still an improvement over what might happen in other parts of the world where it doesn't even financially make sense for the farmer to raise the bull calves. So the veal industry is still an improvement over some of the horrible things that happen around the world where you can't even afford to raise the bull calf. But an improvement over the veal industry is you raise them as steers, which is also common in other places. But in, in Ontario, it happens sometimes as well. But it's just much more costly to raise a dairy animal that's been bred for dairy and then raise that as beef it just is more expensive to to raise them because they don't put on meat as efficiently yeah but, yeah go ahead but then what we're doing with our dairy industry is we're actually crossing our dairy cows to beef so that our bull calves are half angus half holstein so they actually finish on just grass so whereas like regular steers is is they have a longer life than veal they live it's like veal maybe eight months old whereas like steers they could be 15 16 months old so that's a, that's an improvement in welfare in my opinion because they're, they're living a longer life but then improvement above that in my opinion even is raise them as grass-fed and grass-finished is because in order for them to finish on grass they're actually living to 24, 25, 26 months. They're reaching their mature size and they're having a much more longer life and enjoying that life out on pasture. Yeah, absolutely. And my friend, tell me, I'm curious as we end our, our conversation this morning, ask you about 
your own personal and professional legacy and how you hope you're setting a trend not only for your family but for other farmers to follow as you uh, detailed earlier. So tell, tell me about the legacy you want to leave, my friend. Yeah, like for as far as like a personal legacy, I I really want to be known as someone who, for my for my wife too, that was caring and supportive for her, her dreams and her goals and her ambitions, and and to be emotionally available for her and be emotionally available for my children. But from my from my children's perspective, I really hope to be known as somebody that was a great man. As, but also a good man and be an example to my kids of what it means to be good and great at the same time. But then, and then from a professional perspective, I hope my legacy would be to be known as someone that is an innovator, a leader, and is also an example of, of a way that we can farm and that improves the lives of farm animals and then also furthers regenerative agriculture and all those extra benefits, not just animal welfare. Yeah, absolutely, my friend. And Sandra, tell me, if people want to get connected with you personally, my friend, what's the best way they can do that? Yeah, for those that live in Ontario, the best way that we like to connect with people is through email because I don't have to rely on some sort of algorithm to put my content ahead in front of people. So like... We like to do have like a we have like a, a weekly newsletter that we like to send out to people about what's going on around the farm as far as as well as educational things and things that I'm making progress on as far as the dream of improving animal welfare. So people that actually live in Ontario, they can sign up to our email list and everybody who does has the opportunity to win a free meat box that's two hundred and three dollars. But beyond that, and if if they, they don't want to sign up to an email list, we 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 make content on social media. I'm on um, YouTube as Sander Vansty, as well as TikTok as Sander Vansty. We're on Instagram as Moral Eats, and also on Facebook as Moral Eats Farms. So Moral Eats that's the name of our of our farm. That's where we're we're, we're selling our animal products through. And and the Moral Eats parts is basically speaks to our mission of improving animal welfare. Well, absolutely. I, I want to thank you for the good work that you do in the space of improving animal welfare, my friend. Your time, your time on my behalf and work in the field of farming, my friend, is most appreciated. I want to thank you for being here and uh, giving me a piece of your story this morning. It's most appreciated. Absolutely. You're very welcome, man. I appreciate the opportunity to speak what's on the heart and, and talk about what, what what our dreams and goals and, and uh, the mission of our business and and just spreading the word of regenerative agriculture in general and maybe um, explaining to people that have heard the term but don't really know what it's all about to kind of give them the chance to have a deeper understanding. So I appreciate that very much. Absolutely. Have a great day, my friend. You too.